This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is so good to see you all back here. First of all, I got to say, we have a, a high majority of people on the Zoom right now showing their camera, which is a big accomplishment. Yashar Koch to every one of you who's out here today, whether you have your camera on or off, we appreciate you either way. And I just want to say thank you for coming out. Thank you for enjoying. Thank you for being part of this sheer. Despite the fact that we're still not in person, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to talk with you and learn with you every Thursday. Big, important announcement. We will not be learning for the next two Thursdays in a row. I will, Mir Hashem, be going to Eretz Yisrael on uh, Sunday morning, God willing, in Mir Hashem. And uh, no class for you. No soup for you. No class for you for the next two weeks. Not this week and not next week, which will be Thanksgiving. I don't know if we had classes on Thanksgiving anyway. I mean, we should have. <laughs> no better way to give thanks than uh, by talking to Hashem and learning His Torah. But... To make up for all that, we're going to learn almost exclusively about Thanksgiving today, okay? Before we get started, I want to thank also the amazing staff at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit, that amazing, amazing organization that brought me to Detroit 16 years ago and continues to enable me and you to learn together beautifully. Yashikach, Partners Detroit, and Yeshiva Beth Yehuda, and a big old thank you to Shimon and Ruben Kolyakov and their amazing staff, amazing staff over at Torah Anytime, because it's an app and it's a website, and it's got hundreds of thousands of hours of shiurim, of classes, of every Jewish topic possible and imaginable. And all you got to do is walk your fingers over to www.torahanytime.com or go to your app store and download the app and fill your mind with incredible amounts of Torah wisdom. Thank you to them. It is also available, you can find my podcast on Apple Play, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you want, under the name Burnham on the Parsha. Now, every year we go through the Parsha, and the Parsha on the surface is the same, but we got to give different classes about it every year. And every week I try to think about what angle should I go with this week. And this year I decided that all I want to talk about is Thanksgiving. All I want to talk about it, and it's very connected to this week's Torah portion. It is our last class before Thanksgiving, so put this, roll it up in a ball, save it, play it in your house. If people are making Thanksgiving dinner, which some people do, some people don't, people ask me, do you make Thanksgiving dinner? I say, come to my house every Friday night, and you'll see what Thanksgiving dinner looks like. Come to my house every single Friday night. We give thanks to Akadosh Baruch Hu for creating this world, and we do a very, very robust job. We don't have turkey every week, but we have <laughs> so many delicacies. Oh, we love Shabbos. Tov Lodos Lashem. What is Shabbos all about? Mizmor Shir Lioma Shabbos. The song of the Shabbos day is Tov Lodos Lashem. It's good to give thanks to God. That's what it's all about. But why are we talking about it in this week's Parsha? Because in this week's Parsha is where we're introduced to the concept of Thanksgiving in a way that perhaps it's never been introduced before. Now, let's give a little bit of background. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayete. In this Parsha, Yaakov runs away. He's running away from Esau. He stops in for 14 years to learn because whenever you're going to a place that's kind of spiritually negative, you might as well stop for 14 years and learn and develop yourself first before heading out there. It's kind of like we have Kolol today. People today, Baruch Hashem, get married and spend a few years learning Torah full-time before heading out into the, the crazy and chaotic world of Bidnit, which often can be a compromising and challenging place. So the same way, they're following in the footsteps of our great forefather Yaakov, who spent 14 years learning in Yeshiva, full-time studying in Yeshiva, before going to work for Lavan, his uncle. He does work there to win the hand of his beloved, desired fiancé or wife, Rachel. But, of course, we know that Lovin tricks him and gives him Leah. That's why, to this very day, at every chasana, we have a process called the Badekin, where the chasin goes out and unveils the bride to make sure he's getting the right girl. Unlike what happened with, uh, with, with uh, Yaakov, who he was tricked into getting the wrong girl. It's a long, it's a whole, we could talk about that for hours. But anyway, we're not. We're actually not going to talk about that. But then he ends up working for Rachel. And then Rachel, of course, Rachel, by the way. If you look in the Torah, her name is Rachel. I don't know how today in the, in the Torah world, we usually say the name Rachel. I don't know where Rachel came from. Look in the Torah. It says Rachel. We have a daughter. Her name is Rachel. Anyway, um, that's a different conversation from a different time. We can talk about that for hours probably as well. But we're not going to talk about that either because we want to talk about Thanksgiving today. So let's talk about Leah giving birth. Of course, we know that Rachel is uh, barren for a long time, and Leah starts giving birth, and she gives birth to a bunch of children. As a matter of fact, she gives birth to a four-pack, not all at once. This is not exactly octomom or quadromom. This is a just a one after another births. Here we go. I already made a bracha, so 
Here we go. So, remember that Yaakov originally met Rachel when he got to the well, which we've talked about before. Why do so many of our greats meet their spouses? Moshe meets his spouse at a well. Yaakov meets his spouse at a well. Uh, Eliezer finds a spouse for Yitzchak at a well. The well represents digging deep and toiling and then finding an incredible source of everlasting and, and spring water and life. And the idea that life is, is achieved best when we work really hard for it and toil and toil and toil. And then sometimes even strike out and then toil and toil and toil and dig and dig and dig and dig again. And then we get the water. So Yaakov really wants to marry Rachel. He's tricked. He ends up getting... Leah, and then he ends up working another additional seven years. He's allowed to marry. It's amazing. Lovan is such a trickster. Lovan is such a fraudster that he cheated Yaakov out of the wife that he promised him. And yet, ya- Lovan still trusts Yaakov. He says, after Shara Brachas is over, after the seven days of Shara Brachas is over, you can marry the second one, and I trust you that you'll work an additional seven years, right? Yaakov could have theoretically just married Rachel and skipped town, right? Could have been like, Boom, I'm out of here. You lied to me. I lied to you. What's up? We're even Stephen right now. But Lavan knows that if Yaakov promises that he's going to work for seven years, he's going to. So he actually trusts Yaakov and he gives him love, uh, Rachel, his second daughter. And here we go. Let's look at Perek, um, Perek Haftes, Pasuk 31, uh, Lamed Aleph. Perek Haftes, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Genesis 29, 31. Here we go. Vayar Hashem ki Leah. And Hashem sees that Leah is snua. The word snua literally means hated. But the uh, art scroll translates it as unloved. Yaakov clearly didn't hate anybody, right? Yaakov doesn't have a, hate, a bone of hate in his body. But Yaakov didn't love Leah as much as he loved Rachel. That was very clear. And to a woman who's married to a husband, um, if you're the second fiddle, that makes you feel like you're hated. Even though you're not hated, you're just not loved as much. The way Leah sees it, Leah feels like she's hated. So Hashem sees that Leah is unloved, or unloved as much. Hashem opens up her womb. For Rachel Akara, and Rachel was, uh, was barren. So what happens? Batahar Leah, Batele Ben. And Leah is pregnant, and she gives birth to a child. Batikra Shemo Ruvain, and she calls him Ruvain. Ki Amra, because she said, Ki Ra'a Hashem Ba'anyi. Hashem has discerned my humiliation, my pain. Ki Ishi. Now my husband will love me because I have a child. I'm the first one to bring him a child. So my husband's going to love me now because I brought him, I bore him fruits, I brought him a child. Batar Ovatelet Ben, and she became pregnant again, and she had another child. Batomer, and she said, for Hashem has heard that I am hated, I am unloved. I have to live in a marriage where I know that I'm not number one. He gave me this child too. And she calls him Shimon. From the word Hashem, Hashem, Hashem has heard. And she becomes pregnant again. And she gives birth to a boy. And she says, now, this time, my husband will become attached to me. Because I've given him three sons, Alkain, Karashimo, Levi. Therefore, she called him Levi. Now, just an interesting, fascinating idea that I heard for the very first time today, uh, which is, it makes a lot of sense. Um, why does she say, this time my husband will become attached to me because I have three children? So some people say, everyone knew that Yaakov was going to have 12 children, four wives. So at least she knows, like at this time my husband knows that I'm, I'm giving him all I'm supposed to give. Um, if, the, if the math is right, if each one has three. But I heard another idea. When you have one baby, you hold him in your right hand. Or your left hand, if you're a lefty. You have another baby, now you put the... You put your heavier, keep your heavier baby in your right hand, and so and you, you hold your second baby in your left hand because he's smaller, right? Then you have a third baby. Who's carrying the baby now? So now my husband's got to stay with me, right? You got three kids now, right? So now my husband will become attached to me. I don't have hands left anymore. When we go walking, whatever, he's gonna have to walk with me to carry my third child, right? Just an interesting idea that I heard this morning. Okay, I think I heard this it was said over in the name of Rabbi Dushinsky from Eretz Yisrael. The uh, previous Rabbi Dushinsky. Um, okay. 
Then what happens? Vataharod, Vatelid Ben, and she becomes pregnant again, and she gives birth to a child. And she says, This time I will give thanks to Hashem, Alkain, Karash, Shemo, Yehuda. Therefore, she called them Yehuda. The word Yehuda comes from the word Lehodot, to give thanks. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, someone looks at me and they're like, How do you pronounce your name? I'm like, Yehuda. I'm like, whatever, it just means to give thanks. And they're like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, anyway, so <laughs> just a little way that I get a little extra special attention from the uh, customer service reps, right? Because no, no one ever knows how to pronounce my name. So I just say, oh, yeah, it just, just means to give thanks. Anyway, Alkain Karashimo Yehuda, therefore she calls his name Yehuda, Vataamod Miledes, and she stops giving birth. So she gave birth of one, two, three, four, rapid fire, and then she stops, okay? Later on, a spoiler alert, she's going to give birth to two more children, actually three more children, two more boys and a girl, but at this point now, she takes a break. So she's, she stops giving birth. She calls this child Yehuda from the word Lehodos to give thanks. Hapam Ode Es Hashem. What does this mean when she says, now I thank Hashem? So on the most basic level, it means... As, as Rashi brings down, Shenatalti Yoser Michalki, I have got, I have received more than I deserve. Right? I know there's going to be Yaakov's going to have twelve tribes, twelve sons come out of him. I know there's going to be four wives: Leah, Rachel, Bilha, Silpa. And if you do the math, that is three, 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 three. Right? I now have fourth, a fourth son. I got more than I deserved, and that's a cause for appreciation. Which, by the way is what one of the important concepts of Thanksgiving is, is to sense, to feel, to recognize that you got more than you deserve. Now, recently I spoke about this in front of a college, a group of college students, and I've, I got a lot of blowback, and there was interesting, there was a lady there, a lady named Adina Seabag, Miss Adina Seabag, a phenomenal, amazing, amazing educator uh, at University of Michigan. She works with the JRC, the Jewish Resource Center, a great, great organization that works on helping students at the University of Michigan build Jewish identity and Torah learning and really does an incredible job. Every Shabbos, excuse me, every Shabbos they have like 200, 300 guests. It's an incredible, incredible organization. And she came over to me after my speech and she said, would you like some constructive criticism? And I said, absolutely. I always want to hear constructive criticism. She said that she's noticed recently that there's a big blowback to when you say to somebody, you got more than you deserved. Because people are like, why don't I deserve this? Like, what's wrong? And, and she said she thinks it's because today there's so much of this concept of like, oh, you have white privilege you get, you're, 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 you're born so ahead of the curve. You know, everybody who had this and this step forward, everyone has a step forward. And oh, look at you, all you people, you're standing, you're standing in front of everybody else. You have all your white privilege. And there's like a certain sense like, oh, you didn't deserve this. You don't deserve what you have. So these college students are starting to fight back. Like, what do you mean I don't, I don't deserve it? So there's definitely a, an interesting concept of that going on today. But of course, the answer is, what did you do to deserve all that you got? Are you sitting in a home right now with heating and cooling? I don't know where you are listening to this, but if you're in Michigan, I hope you have heating in your home. And, if you, and I hope you have a pantry full of food. And I hope you have a wardrobe full of clothing. And I hope you can see in full color. And I hope you can hear well, either by your own or with the aid of, of hearing aid. And if you have all that, did you, and you were probably born with all that, did you work so hard to deserve it? Did you do everything right your whole life to get all the incredible bounty and safety that you have? Do you realize that the comforts that you experience are greater than literally even nobility for all of history until 100 years ago? Even 100 years ago, when you look at the pictures of the people living in the Lower East Side, sleeping out on, the, on, their, on their fire escapes in the summer because the heat was so oppressive. And we have air-conditioned homes and heated homes we're living with, I mean, besides, if you go to the Tenement Museum, which I highly recommend, there's a Tenement Museum in the Lower East Side. Look at the way Jews lived. I mean, they were lucky if they had 500 square feet for a family of six. We have such incredible bracha. Did we toil so hard to get all this blessing? Or are we just incredibly, incredibly blessed by the good Lord above that we were born into this generation? We could have been born into a generation in the 1300s when the average lifespan was 35 years. We could have been born in a family in the 1400s where in your cities and villages and towns there was human and animal refuse running through the streets 
where black plague and all kinds of diseases were running rampant, where there were pogroms every few weeks. We are living an incredible blessing. So we all should recognize, and I think it's important for us to be able to get, and if it's something you struggle with, that's fine. Please reach out to me, by all means. My email address is lburnham at Partners Detroit. lburnham at Partners Detroit. Hi, we'll put it up on the box. Feel free to reach, up to reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. But I think it's so important for us to be able to get that sense of, I am getting so much more than I deserve. And the reason why is because when you have that, you're just thankful and appreciative and you're happy. Because every day is filled with blessings and gifts. Every day you're being showered. Every day is Hanukkah. Right? The first night of Hanukkah. My Rebona Shalom gave to me the ability to see in color. The second night of Hanukkah, the Rebona Shalom gave to me the ability to hear, the ability to see, the third night of Hanukkah, and so on and so forth. Right? We are incredibly blessed. And the more we recognize that, the more we feel appreciative for what we have. The more we think that I deserve more than I get, the more we're in trouble. Now, so the first simple explanation is, she says, this time I've received more than I deserve, I will thank God. However, there is much, much ink spilled on this matter. So I want to talk pretty much exclusively today about this concept, this concept of appreciation, this concept of what this means. Let's start with explanation number one. So explanation number one is she said, four wives, 12 tribes, do the math, it's three, I got more than I deserve. That's idea number one. Idea number two. Idea number two. If you look at her life, it's not easy. Leah did not have an easy life. For starters, it says that Ene Leah Rakos, when Yaakov first meets um, Rachel at the, at the well, okay? So it says the following in the Torah. Um, Ve'ene Leah Rakos, this is in Perek Chavtes, Pasuk Yud Zayin, and the Le- Leah's eyes were soft, were tender. Right? Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. What does that mean that Leah's eyes were tender? Right? And the sages explained to us that it was always assumed that Leah was going to marry Asav and Rachel was going to marry Yaakov. Leah was the older sister. She would marry the older brother of Yaakov. In those days, marrying your cousins was quite common, often desired. Right? So the assumption was that Leah was going to marry Esau, and Yaakov was going to marry Rachel. And because of that, Leah was crying all the time. All the time that she didn't want to be married to this horrible human being, Esau, who was a boar, who was a brute, who brutalized other people, who forced himself onto other people, who killed, who was a robber, who was a thief, who was a liar. And Leah, thinking her whole life that she's going to be married to this guy, could you imagine, I saw a video, it is... It's heartrending. It was a video from Afghanistan, okay? And it's a video where a family sells their nine-year-old daughter to a 55-year-old man in the village, okay? This is still going on in 2021 in the world, okay? And you literally see the nine-year-old daughter, like, putting on her makeup, like they're getting her all made up. And then you see the this old Dude, a 55-year-old guy coming into the hut, into the house, whatever it is, and the father of the girl who sold him for, it was about five or $600 worth, you know, whatever, whatever their currency was, um, is telling this old man, like, now she's your responsibility, she's your wife now, you take care of her, and please don't beat her. Okay, this is, this is what a father is saying to the man who coming to collect the child bride that he just bought. Okay? And I, you see this video, it's unreal. And then the mother brings out the child, and the child's like fighting back. She's trying to stay. And the parents are like, no, go. And the, the man comes and roughly grabs, there's a 55-year-old man with a white beard coming to grab his child bride, his nine-year-old bride. And he's grabbing her and pulling her, and she's trying to stay there, and she's crying, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And the, and the father's like, go, my daughter, go, you have to go now. And like the daughter is trying to go, and then the last thing you see is this, this man just like kind of yanking her across the village, the, the little streets of their village, the little earth streets. Leah spends, can you imagine also like what it must be like to be a girl growing up in a village like that, where you never know 
When is your daddy going to sell you for $600 to some dude, some 55-year-old guy who he's going to have to ask and beg, please don't beat my daughter? Could you imagine what it's like growing up like that? The fear, the constant anxiety. Leah assumes her whole life that she's going to marry Asav. Her eyes are red because she's crying all the time. That she's going to be married to this brute. So Leah's life does not start off good. Now in the end, her father grabs her and sneaks her into the wedding. She ends up marrying Yaakov, which is amazing. But Yaakov clearly doesn't love her as much. And she has to spend her life knowing that she's second fiddle. <laughs> we, it, it, we, don't, we, don't, we don't practice polygamy anymore, obviously. But we can't imagine what the pain must be like, the ever-present pain of being married to somebody. And, and there's nothing that a woman wants more than to know that her husband loves her more than anything. There's, again, let me repeat that because this is the reality. There is nothing that a woman wants more than to know that her husband loves her more than anything. And when she knows that, she is a different human being. But when she doesn't know that, she's in pain. And we see this. Child number one. Hashem sees my pain. Hashem sees my suffering. She may be married, but she knows she's second fiddle. Child number one. Hashem sees my suffering. Ra'ah Hashem ba'anyi. Hashem sees my suffering. Child number two. Shema Hashem kisnuah anochi. Hashem hears that I'm, I'm hated. He sees what I'm going through. And he's, he's giving me consolation with children at least. I could focus on the children instead of focusing on my husband who's not there because he's with Rachel. Third child, maybe now, maybe now my husband will walk with me. But no, it doesn't happen. Finally, child number four. What happens? She says, I have to change how I live my life. I have to change how I live my life. Because I could spend my life looking at what I don't have. And I might have very valid complaints. I'm second fiddle to my husband. That is so painful. And it's true. It is painful. And there's just there's no question, there's no there's no two ways about it. It's just horrible. It's very, very tough. But she says, if I just keep spending my rest of my life, I'm gonna be a sad person. If all I focus on is what I don't have. I don't have the chief love of my husband. I don't. And I spent my life until now. Child number one, I'm talking about my, my pain. Child number two, I'm talking about my pain. Child number three, I'm talking about my pain. Enough, she says. I'm done talking about what I don't have. I need to change my life. I need to start focusing on what I do have. I have a child. Not everybody has this. This time, I'm not talking anymore about what I don't have. I'm now only going to talk about what I have. I'm only going to be thankful and appreciative for what I have. Because focusing on what I don't have and focusing on my pain is going to get me nowhere. Hapam Odes Hashem. I'm going to focus on what I have. I have children. I don't still have the love of my husband. Fine. There are people who are born without arms. There are people... There, there's, there's a... There's a, 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 a he's like a Christian sort of motivational speaker or preacher. I, f- I forgot what his name is right now. Hi, I could probably look it up. He has no arms, no legs. He has a little... Like a, like a, like a little... <laughs> call it like a chicken bone, like a like a little half wing. Okay, he has like a little half wing coming out of his out of his torso. That's all he has. He's got a torso and a head, and a little tiny like flapping, small little like like about the size of two fingers, flapping little appendage. And he's a motivational speaker, and he goes around and he speaks in front of thousands and thousands of people all day long. Now here's a man. He could very easily talk about what he doesn't have. And he would be right. I don't have this. 
I'm in such pain. I don't have arms, but Hashem loves me, so He, he gave me life. I, I'm in such pain. I don't have feet, but Hashem loves me, so He gave me life. He could have been that guy, focusing all day long on what he doesn't have. And where would he be today? Nobody would have ever heard of him. But instead, what did he do? He said, I'm going to be thankful every day for what I have, which is life, the ability to breathe, the ability to walk around, the ability to talk, the ability to engage. And it's an incredible, incredible thing. Leah says, Hapam Odes Hashem. I'm not going to go through my life anymore focusing on what I don't have. And says the sages, that's why, what came out of this child? What came out of this child, Yehuda, the child that was the focus of, of I'm just going to be appreciative for what I have, is David HaMelech. The Jewish sovereignty comes out of this child. And yes, exactly right, correct. Hi, that's motivational speaker, Nick Vyuyik, or Vyuchik, however you pronounce it. No hands, no legs, right? Amazing. So, this time, what comes out of what comes out of you when you're ready to just focus on your blessings? You get to be a king. You get to be a sovereign. You get to be royalty. Because the only way you get to be royalty is if you feel like a king. Kingship is not about what you have. It's about what you recognize you are and what you feel you have. The people who are filled with regal bearing in life, you see people who have like a regal bearing to them. These are people who are deeply, deeply appreciative. That's, it's, it's such an important lesson for us. Like We have to decide, do you want to be a king or do you want to be a pawn? A pawn is a pawn. Not everyone gets to be a king. But you know what? If a pawn goes and trudges all the way across the board, they become a royal. And instead of focusing on what they don't have and say, oh, I'm a defenseless little pawn, I'm never going to make it, they just trudge carefully and steadily and say, I've got the most incredible opportunity in the world. If I just get to the other end of there, you know, boom. Then they're, then they're already a, a, a king. They're already a queen before they get to the end of the board already. So that is idea number two. Is that she just says, I'm done focusing on what I don't have. I'm going to focus on what I have. And because of that, malchus, kingship, Mashiach comes out of there. Okay. Next. The Gemara and Brachos, Dav Zayin Amid Beis, Babylonian Talmud, Tracted Brachos, page 7b. Ve'amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabshim Bayochai. And Rabbi Yochanan says, in the name of Rabshim Bayochai, Miyom Shabara HaKadosh Baruch Hu Esolamo, from the time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created his world, Lohaya Adam Shehodala HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there was no one that gave thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ad Shebasa Leah V'hodaso, until Leah came along and gave thanks, Shenemar, as it says, Hapam Ode Es Hashem, this time I will give thanks to God. Now of course, there, in the Torah, up until this word, you do not see the word Toda or Hoda'a, you don't see that word. But what does that mean? Tradition tells us it's in 7b. Brachos 7b. Zion Amun Beis. Tradition tells us that Adam HaRishon was the one who wrote Mizmar Shir Lioma Shabbos. Adam HaRishon was the one who experienced the first Shabbos ever. Let's give a little bit of a background. He was created on the sixth day of creation. Within a few hours after being created, he was created around noon. Within a few hours after being created, he had already sinned by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he ends up getting thrown out of the Garden of Eden on Saturday night. But he's still in the garden for Shabbos, and he composes the Mizmar Shir Lioma Shabbos. Tov Lodos Lashem. It is good to give thanks to Hashem. So the question is, if really Adam Arishon said Tov Lodos Lashem, and what does it even mean that no one said thanks to Hashem. We know that Noah, when he came out of the table, when he came out of the ark, he built a mizbeach and he offered offerings to Hashem. We know that Avram went to so many, so many times in his life, built mizbechos, built altars, and offered sacrifices to Hashem. And I'm sure, I, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine that Avram didn't say thank you. And again, I don't know what language he spoke it in. Did he use the word toda? Did he use a different word? But how could it be that other people weren't thankful? 
So I'm going to give a couple different answers. The first answer is from the Chida. Okay? The Chida is one of the most fascinating, fascinating personalities um, in the Jewish history in the 18th century and, and actually probably in the, last, in the latter half of the, of the second millennium. His name was Reb Chaim Yosef David Azulai. So the word Chida is Ches Yud Dalad Aleph. Chaim Yosef David Azulai. He was from a Kohen family, and some people say that the word, the name Azulai, is an acronym of the pasuk that says Isha Zona Vechalala Lo Yikachu, which is a reminder and a rejoinder to Kohanim that they are not allowed to marry people of 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 ill repute or people who did not do the right things with their lives. And as a, as a reminder of what their mission as Kohanim were, they put that into their last name, Azulai. Okay? Now, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of his background just because it's so, so fascinating. It's, it's, it's incredible. Okay. He was born in Jerusalem to a Sephardic family that had been living in the, in, in the holy city of Jerusalem for centuries. They were, they were great Talmudists and Kabbalists. The most famous of the Chida's ancestors, and by the way, this is from a, bi- a, a biography, a short biography found on Chabad.org or Chabad.com. Uh, his most famous um, of the Chida's answer was Rabbi Avraham Azulai, who wrote a commentary on the, on, the, on the Zohar. But he died in Hebron a couple hundred years before the Chida was born. His father, Rabbi Yitzchak Zechariah Azulai, was a very, very learned man. He was his first teacher, but then he went to study Gemara and the secrets of Torah under the guidance of Rabbi Yosef Nabon, Rabbi Yitzchak Akohen Rappaport, and Rabbi Chaim Benatar. Rabbi Chaim Benatar was one of the great Kabbalists, and he came to Yerushalayim when the Chida was very young, and the Chida learned with him. The Chida had an incredible memory, and he became famous at a very early stage. At the age of 16, he wrote his first book, book called Halem Davar, which are like the hidden things. And he pointed out a bunch of different errors with different versions of, of different books. What we're going to see is that a very, very uh, consistent theme throughout the Chida's life is that the Chida was an absolute bibliophile. What is a bibliophile? One who loves books. So he used to love different books and comparing books. So in Helam Davar, he already started pointing out how many different versions of different sfarm that we commonly use had different um, versions of it. And he pointed out a bunch of the errors. It was never published. He wrote his first Talmudic commentary, Shar Yosef, the Gate of Yosef, on Tractate Horios, which is one of the more complex Talmudic tractates dealing with the laws of Tum and Tahara. In 1753, when he was 29 years old, because he was born in 1724, um, he he was sent as a emissary to the Holy Land. He went for a couple times. He was known as a Shadron. A Shadron was a Shlucha de Rabbanan, a emissary of the rabbis. And he would go on trips for sometimes like five years at a time, going around the Jewish world, trying to raise funds to support the Jewish community living in Hebron. Now you have to understand also, like today, people go to come from Eretz Israel all the time. They come in for a few weeks at a time. I just met with somebody this morning. He told me they're now, they're, this Shabbos will be their fifth Shabbos in, in America raising funds. And then they'll be here next week. And then they finally go back for their seventh Shabbos. They'll be, you know, they, they'll be gone for six weeks, which is, is difficult. You leave behind your family. You leave behind your children. I, I can't, it's so difficult to leave. You know, like, I, I mean, I'll, be, I'll be gone next Shabbos. You know, I'll be in Eretz Yisrael. And I... It's so hard for me to be away for Shabbos. I'm definitely not going to be missing two Shabbos. It's only like once or twice in my entire marriage that I miss two Shabbos in a row. Very difficult. So many people come from Eretz Yisrael to raise funds for communities, for, for kalas, for whatever they're raising funds. are gone for six weeks, seven weeks at a time, two months at a time. When the Chida was around, people would leave for five years at a time. Travel to and from Eretz Yisrael was difficult and fraught with danger. And you couldn't just like pick up and go. There was no direct flight from, from Tel Aviv to JFK. You know what I'm saying? So he went at least on two different trips for five years at a time. So he, um, he also, so there, there was two goals, raise funds and also keep alive the interest. They, they wanted to make sure Klai Yisrael still knew. Jews still live in Eretz Yisrael. Keep your hopes alive. We're going to get back there eventually. 
Okay? Now, while he was abroad, he could be found, you know, during the day, all the time. I guess, you know, people usually would collect the money at night, maybe when people are home from work. And he would be, during the day, rummaging through dusty museums, libraries, private collections. He, he went to Paris and he was thrilled, not because of the wide boulevards and the beautiful parks in Paris, but because of the 5,000 Jewish manuscripts he found in the basement of the Louvre. And he spent a tremendous amount of time over there. So he also, he himself was a very regal looking man. He, was, he had a, a very majestic bearing. He looked very beautiful. And he made a deep impression on anybody wherever he went. So much so that when he met Louis XVI, who was the uh, king of, of uh, France at the time. In France, this is pretty much at the height of the French monarchy, the Bourbon dynasty. When King Louis XVI saw him enter the courtroom, he said, who is he the ambassador? From which country is he the ambassador? He had such a regal look that he assumed this must be some kind of ambassador from some kind of country. He never dreamed this was just a, a rabbi from Eretz Yisrael collecting funds for the, the, the people living in Hebron. The most important and fascinating, one, one, there's so many important things about the, the Chida, and he wrote so prolifically. He, he wrote about 71, besides loving books, he loved writing books, and he wrote about 71 different books, manuscripts. There's a whole list of them. There's a list of the Chida's writings in their various places. Some are considered to be doubles, but he wrote prolifically, for sure over 50 books in his lifetime. He also uh, wrote, most importantly, he wrote a diary. He wrote a diary under the name Ma'agal Tov, the Good Circle, and he kept a record of his observations and experiences of his travels. He was in Amsterdam, and he was in Britain, and he was in France, he was in Greece, he was all over the Jewish community. Um, so he, he basically he made, he, he traveled extensively, he wrote notes extensively, eventually he ended up settling outside of Eretz Israel. He, he, he loved Torah so much that when his wife passed away, he kept it quiet because he didn't want to be pressured to remarry. He, he was very devoted to his wife while she was alive, but once he, his wife passed away, he was in, um, he was in Chutz Laaretz, he was outside of Israel, and he kept it quiet so he could just sit and learn, and he, he, wanted, he didn't really want to get remarried. You know, very interesting. He ended up settling in a Jewish community in Livorno, Italy, and he settled there and he began writing all of his major works. It was a major center of Jewish printing at the time, Livorno, and he had everything he wanted there. He had books aplenty. He had printing press to be able to print all of his works, and he ended up staying there, and he passed away at the age of 83, which again, in the 1700s, was a very, very, very ripe old age. That is the story of the Chida. Okay, what is the Chida's response to our question? Okay, so now that, now that we just did that for a little minute, what is the Chida's response to the question of how do you say that nobody said thank you to Hashem until, um, until Leah came along? But we know that didn't, didn't Adam Arishon say Tov Lahodos Hashem? So he says something fascinating. He actually he brings down in his sefer called Petach Enayim, okay? And it's his commentary on the, on the Gemara, because this, again, the, the Gemara in Tractate Bracho 7b was which said that nobody gave thanks to Akadosh Baruch until Leah came along and said thank you. So he brings down um, on, on a, he brings down two answers. He says that there's on one hand you could simply answer that Leah gave thanks much more clearly for what happened to her. Adam was saying, Tov lodos Lashem, it's good to give thanks to God. In general, like a more general, God took care of the world. God created an amazing world. Leah was the pioneer of saying, I'm thankful for what happens to me. Hashkacha Pratis. He also answers, though, another answer, and actually that answer is also brought down by the Ben Yehoyada. Okay? So the Ben Yehoyada writes down that the difference between what Leah was saying was Leah was saying much more... Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not the Ben Yehoyada's answer. Sorry. We'll get back to the Ben Yehoyada's answer in a moment. Answer number one brought down in parentheses in the Chidah is that Leah was thanking much more for what happened to her. Adam was being thankful to Hashem in general, which, by the way, both are very, very valid. 
But there's a, a more, a higher level of thanks where you're thanking God intimately for whatever happens to you. I'm thanking you, God, for sending me this coffee. I'm thanking you, God, for sending me this mug. I'm thanking you, God, for sending me these hairs. Well, I still have them. Got to thank for them. Right? I'm thanking you, God, for these eyes. I'm thanking you, God, for these fingernails that you gave me. So the Chida's the first answer he brings in, in parentheses, but he doesn't seem to love it, was that Leah was much more about thanking personally for things that happened to her, and Adam Marishan was more thanking God what we call bichlolius in general. However, the Chidas has a fascinating other answer. He says, no. He says, my, 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 my preferred answer is that the word lahodos means two things. It means to give thanks, and it also means to admit. In Hebrew, right, the word on, on Yom Kippur for confession is vidoy. Vidoy. What is vidoy when you admit what you did wrong? It actually comes from the same root as hoda'ah, of admitting. In Hebrew, if you admit, if someone says to you, you owe me 100 bucks, and I say, no, I owe you 50, that's called a modeh b'miksatz. You're admitting half the claim. So what he says like this is that Adam, when he says, tov lahodos Hashem, we always translate it as he's saying, it's good to give thanks to Hashem. The Chidah says that what Adam was saying is, no, 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 it's good to admit your wrongdoing to Hashem. Because remember, when, when Hashem says to Adam, what did you do? What is Adam's initial response? My wife made me do it. And he gets it wrong. And that's why Hashem gets really angry at Adam and Chava. Had Adam and Chava, they ate from the fruit. Okay, fine, they did something wrong. Had Adam and Chava owned up, and as soon as Hashem said to them, what did you do? They would have just said, I'm sorry, (laughs) whatever, we messed up. Then Hashem would have been much more ready to forgive them, and Mashiach might have come right then. But because instead of admitting what they did, they said, no, no, Adam says... Adam says, Chava made me do it. Chava says, the, the snake made me do it. Hashem says, you're done. You're going to be kicked out of here. You're not going to live forever. You're not going to have continuity. So while they're still in the garden, knowing that they're going to be kicked out as soon as Shabbos is over, Adam says to the world, Just admit to Hashem. Just admit your wrongdoings. Just admit your wrongdoings to God. Tov lahodos Hashem. He's giving us a message for all of eternity. And that's Mizmer Shir Leoma Shabbos. That's the song of the Shabbos day. The word Shabbos comes from the same word as Teshuvah, as repentance. Shabbos, to return, to go back. Repentance, Teshuvah, going back. So the Chidah says, when Adam Rishon writes Tov lahodos Hashem, he's saying it's good to admit your wrongdoings to Hashem. As the key person, the first person to realize how wrong it is and how unproductive it is, and how hurtful to you it is when you blame other people for your misdeeds, Adam is giving out a message to the world. Mizmer Shirli Yomashabos, the song of repentance, of going back, is just admit what you did wrong. Interestingly, of course, Yehuda, as we said before, who the sovereignty comes out of, who the Malchus comes out of. Now there's a different king that comes out of Rachel's children. His name is Shaul. Shaul comes out of the children of Rachel. He's a Benjaminite. He's an Ish Yemini. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. When he does wrong and Shmuel the prophet comes to rebuke him, Shaul gives a bunch of excuses. The people made me do it. The people made me do it. And Shmuel says, you're done. You're not going to be a long-term king. And David Amalek, who descends from Leah, who has it right on the spectrum of giving thanks, but also when you give thanks, you're able to admit, when I recognize that you're giving me so much, I'm much more ready to be open and honest with you. And that's why she is the progenitor, she is the, 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 the ancestor of David HaMelech, who comes from the tribe of Yehuda, and when he does something wrong, and the prophet comes to him, and Nassim the prophet, Nassim Anavi comes to him, immediately, David's response is, Chatasi Hashem. I sinned, I sinned against Hashem. And because of that, he has malchus. So again, there's a little bit of a subtlety here. Again, the same word for admitting is the same word for giving thanks. When I give thanks, I'm admitting I couldn't do this without you. Just this week, someone gave me such a special gift. And I was blown away and filled with appreciation. You know, I have a custom right now. Baruch Hashem, uh, in, in the COVID... So, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of challenges out of COVID, a lot of positive things out of COVID. One of the positive things is I started making herring. And, uh, and then I, I, I used to give it out a lot. I still try to give it out because <laughs> um, I make big batches. 
once you're making herring, once you're getting your hands all fishy, you're cutting up your fish with your hands and the onions, you might as well just make big, big batches and just give out herring. So I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, I was, I was talking to people about like, you're home, you're locked in your house, just go make cookies and deliver it to people's doors, whatever it is. And um, I used to make herring and, and, and I brought it over to a good friend of mine's house and he just moved into the neighborhood. I brought him over like three kinds of herring. And he's like, come on in. Let's have a l'chaim. Let's have some herring. And we started a beautiful custom of we before Shabbos. We have what we call tayamel, which means like we... It used to, I used to run into Shabbos, like running, rushing, rushing, running. And it's like, I don't want to walk into Shabbos like that. Shabbos is a queen. I don't want to rush to greet a queen. I want to be waiting for her. I want to be ready. I want to be happy. I want to be relaxed. So now we started the custom. We're like, about a half hour before davening, we would get together at my friend's house we have a little bit of herring, a little chaim, some meat, whatever, you know, and then go to shul. Ever since Rosh Hashanah, we started doing, we tried, we're trying to up it a little bit. So now we try to get together, and, and now that daylight saving, whatever, but now that the clock has been changed, it's going to be even more challenging. But we try to get together an hour before davening. So Shabbos, and I think this week, davening's going to be like 5.05. I'll be out of town this week. But next time I come back, davening's going to be like at 5 o'clock. We try to get together an hour before davening, and we have our Tayama experience, which is beautiful and gishmak. It goes for about 35 minutes. It's just such a beautiful way to end the week. Instead of just being stressed. Like, you know, I used to be able to close my, close my computer and then go straight to, you know, shower or the mikvah, whatever, and then rush into Shabbos. Now, like, I have this tayamah break where I'm just relaxed. So at tayamah, we have this beautiful experience. We're sitting around with friends. We're relaxed. We learn a little bit of Shira Shirim. Shira Shirim is a beautiful song of songs. It's the, the story of the love of God and the, and the Jewish people. And in Eretz Yisrael, when I was a kid, I remember people used to have a custom to read it. It's, it's in the center. You'll find it always right before Shabbos davening. Shabbos is when we're, so to speak, intimate with Hashem, our God. Like That's the time where we put away all the distractions and we're just with Hashem, our, 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 our spouse, so to speak, our beloved one in heaven. So we sing Shir Hashirim. So now we try to come to Shul before Shul, and I try to sing the whole Shir Hashirim with the trap before davening. And it's just... It's so special, and I hope I should be able to do this. God willing, Hashem should give me the strength. I should be able to keep up this beautiful custom for the rest of my life. This week, my birthday was last week. This week, some two incredible, incredible, incredible friends of mine, they just, they surprised me. They said, come out for lunch. We want to talk to you about something, whatever it is. Okay, whatever. I'm sitting down with them. And first, the first one I just met with one, and then the other one shows up, and I'm thinking, what's going on over here? And I really just had no idea. I'm like, okay, what's this project you want to talk about? And suddenly they take out this bag, and I open up the bag, and then I, I just realize I know what it is. It's like, it's a shira shira. It's, it's so beautiful. It's a shira shira written on the cloth, on the parchment. It's handwritten. It's a, it's a real Megillah. And I can't wait. I can't wait to start singing shira shira from it. I have to learn now the whole trope. I have to learn all, you know, the trope for, for shira shira. I, I know the trope for shira shira, but I, I usually read it out of the sitter, or out of a chumash, where it has the trope there. So... I got part of it already. I think maybe I've gotten the last verse off, but I, I, I can't wait. What a gift! What an appreciation! When you say thank you to somebody, you're saying I couldn't have done this without you. I would never, I would not have even thought of buying myself a Megillah. I love Shira Shirim. It's beautiful. And it's such, right now, again, I hope it's part of my life forever, but I, I wouldn't have done that without them. When I say thank you, when I say thank you, what I'm saying to you is, I could not have done this without you. You opened up a vista to my life. You did something so deeply appreciative. I'm, I'm so deeply appreciative. So that's what Hoda means. I'm, I'm admitting, I would not have done this without you. I can't have done this without you. Thank you for being part of my life. So, that is what thank you means. Tov l'hodos l'Hashem. So, thinking, it has to do with admitting. I couldn't, I'm, not, I'm not whole without you. I'm not here. I can't be here without you. The same people who are able to be thankful, thankful, thankful are also the people who are willing to admit their guilt. The people who can't say thank you, who can't show appreciation, are the people who believe they're their own self-made man. Those are the most miserable, cynical people. They never have appreciation. I, I got it myself. I paid for it. What do you, I got to thank you for it? I gave you money. I'm supporting you. They can't admit that we need a world with people who help each other out. So the child of Rachel, sorry, the, the great-great-great-grandchild of Rachel, the first king of Israel, Shaul, he's missing on that element. And because of that, he can't be the eternal king of the Jewish people. The great-great-great-grandchild of Leah, Hapam Odes Hashem, she's good on the thanks. He's good on the thanks, and he also is good at admitting when he does something wrong. And because of that, 
the Jewish Malchus forever will be from the house of David, which is from the house of Leah. Okay. So now, let's, that covers that answer. Let's do one more answer. The Ben Yehoyada. The Ben Yehoyada says a different answer. He says, it's interesting that in the Gemara, the Gemara says, there's a Gemara before that, that says that before Adam Arishon, no one called Hashem Adon. Okay? No one called Hashem the Master. Oh, hold on a second. I'm trying to bring up... Hold on a second. Yeah, anyway, but he says the point is, that is, it, it says before, it says there was no one that called Hashem... Safaria.org? Where is it? i got to find this. Hold on a second. I want to find the source. I'm sorry, guys. Because there was a Gemara before that. Okay, here we go. Brachos 7b. Come on, work with me over here. Hold on, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. From the time that Kaddish Baruch Hu created the world. Listen carefully. The world. Nobody called him Adon until Avraham came and called him Adon. Shenemar, as it says, Vayomar Adonai Elohim Bama Eida Ki David, uh, Avram says, Hashem Elohim, how will I know that I'll inherit this world? This is Hashem, Avram calling Hashem Master. By Leah, it says, Miyom Baruch Hu Es Olamo. From the time that Gadosh Baruch Hu built his world, no one gave thanks until Leah came along and said, Thank you. And it says, Apamo does Hashem. Asks the Ben Yoyada, how come by Avram it says, from the time that Gadosh Baruch Hu created the world? But here, it says Hashem, it says from the time of Kaddish Baruch who created Olamo, his world. Again, by Avram it says, Miyom Shabara Kaddish Baruch Hu Es HaOlam, the world. By the, bracha, the, the statement about Leah, it says, from the day that Kaddish Baruch who created his world. Says the Ben Yoyada, Leah was thanking Hashem, not just for creating a world, but for creating his world, indicating that she recognizes the incredible level of Ashkacha Pratis. There are people who have this theory called the Watchmaker Theory. Nebuch, a very, very convoluted and mistaken theory that HaKadosh Baruch who created the world, but just like a watchmaker creates a very complex watch and then sells it, so to HaKadosh Baruch who created this complex world and then just let it spin off. Leah, by saying, I recognize that this child is a gift from you, I recognize that everything that I have is a gift from you, is saying, no Hashem, this is your world. I believe that not only did you create a world, but you created your world, and you're deeply, deeply involved with what's called Hashgacha Pratis. And maybe this is what it means, that no one recognized how deep HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashgacha Pratis, personal attention to every little detail that goes on in the world, happens until Leah came along and said that. Now, I want to tell you a story about Ashgacha Pratis that will blow your minds, okay? So, saddle up, guys. Saddle up. We are about to gallop, okay? We are about to gallop! Here we go. This story I heard from Rabbi Elimelech Biederman, an incredible Rav in Eretz Yisrael who's got thousands and thousands of followers, and his, this story is wild. He just told a story recently about a man named Rabbi Herschel Berkovich. As Rabbi Elimelech, Elimelech Biederman explains... Herschel Berkovich is a man living in Eretz Yisrael. I believe, I think he lived in Ashdod, maybe, and he was a uh, a man who was blessed with many children. Now, by the way, I'm going to tell this story, and then I'm going to tell another story after that. If you have to go, if it, you know, if the clock strikes one and you got to go, don't worry, you can go. But if you stick around, the stories are going to be awesome. Okay, <laughs> try to bribe you to stay longer than the one o'clock deadline. All righty, but it's worth it. Okay, so a man named Rabbi Herschel Berkowitz, as Rabbi Elimelech Biederman, Eli Biederman says, many Jews from Eretz Yisrael have large families, and when they have to make chasanas, not that they have to make, they get to make chasanas, they get to marry off their kids, the expenses are very, very much. So they go to America, they travel to America to give our brethren in America the opportunity to be involved in the beautiful mitzvah of Achnasas Kala, in the beautiful mitzvah of helping to marry off a kala, which is a very, very special mitzvah spoken about already in, in, in the Mishnah, in the ethics, uh, sorry, in, in Mishnah and Peah. 
or, or ethics of our fathers, when it talks about the various mitzvos that you do, you get the reward in this world, and you get the majority of your, you get, you get the dividends in this world, and you get the, the, the karen in, the, in the, the, the original principle in the world to come. It's a very special mitzvah, So he comes to America, he's trying to raise money for his daughter's wedding. And he's there for he's there for a reason. He's not there to mess around. So his he tells he hires a driver, and he tells the driver, "I want you to meet me in Borough Park." He was sleeping in Borough Park. He's like, "I want you to meet me in, in Borough Park at five thirty a.m." So we'll go to Williamsburg, okay? In Williamsburg, there's a certain place that has like a, what we call like a like a, a minion factory. They've got like minion every ten minutes, like literally. You know, they have a minion at eight, eight ten, eight twenty, eight thirty, eight forty, eight fifty, eight sixty. Sorry, nine, nine, ten, and so on and so forth. And you can literally walk in anytime at any hour. And there's a minion either started two minutes ago or starting in eight minutes, five and five. There's always minyanim starting, so you're never late for davening. You can always be early if you so choose. You also can go late if you so choose, but that's your decision. Anyway, in those kind of minyanim, there's so many people going by. Over the course of a morning, if you start at 6 a.m. when people are the earlier people are getting up to go to their jobs, whatever, you can start collecting money. And then there's minyanim. There's six minyanim an hour. From six to seven to eight to nine to ten, whatever it is, you can make five hundred dollars. You know, just going around and collecting money at at at, at davening. So he tells the driver, "Please meet me at five thirty a.m. I want you to bring me to Williamsburg to the six o'clock minion." Okay. So five thirty comes. Driver no there. Driver doesn't show up. So he starts calling. Driver's not answering. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit here and get angry. I mean, I could. I could just get angry, but that's not going to help me. So he decides. There's a mooncatcher. Uh, Munkach is a certain Hasidic dynasty. There's a Munkacher based Medrash, a shul, not far away from where he's staying. So he says, I'm going to go there, I'm going to dive, and I'll say to Hillam. So he leaves a message with his driver, listen, you're not here. I'm going to go to the Munkach based Medrash, and after, I'm going to dive, and then after davening, I'll be saying to Hillam, so whenever you're ready, come and get me. He's sitting there, he's sitting there, he's sitting there. Driver, it's at 7 o'clock, it's 8, 8.15, no driver. He gets a tap on the shoulder. And there's a man there, and the man takes out five Benjamins, $500 cash, and gives it to him, and says, I see that you're davening so beautifully, you're, you're davening so beautifully, can you please daven for me as well? I very much need help, I need a Yeshua, I need salvation, can you daven for me? The guy says, sure, for $500? Yeah, I can definitely daven for you. So he says, give me your name, he starts davening. Meanwhile, the driver still is not showing up, 9 o'clock. Ten, oh, I forgot to tell you. The man says, can you give me your phone number? He says, you don't need my phone number. I'll, I'll daven for you. He's like, no, 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 I want your phone number so I can just, you know, I can up, update you. I see you're davening so nicely. You're davening so beautifully. I want to be able to update you. Okay. So he is davening. He's saying to Helen, 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Now imagine, he's been up now since 5.30. His driver's not coming. He already got paid, though, for whatever he was going to make that day. He already made $500. So he's like, I'll just stay here and daven. Around 10 o'clock, he gets a phone call from the man. He's like, hey, are you, where, where are you right now? He's like, I'm still in Shul Davening. He's like, I'm coming right now to you. Stay where you are. I'm coming to you. He's like, okay, fine. About a half hour later, the guy bursts in. He's like, you're not going to believe what happened. I can't believe it. Thank you so much for davening me. I had a total Yeshua. I had a total, total miracle happen to me. Like, what are you talking about? He says, listen, I had a big court case today. You know, the government, the IRS, whatever it was, they thought I was, you know, not... We disagreed about how to classify certain things, and I had a massive court case that could have cost me, you know, hundreds of thousands, tremendous amount of money, tremendous amount of money, and possibly who knows what. Like, really, really bad. And I saw you diving. I'm like, look, I'm going to ask you to dive, and hopefully you'll, you'll give me some schosim, you'll give me some merits. I go to the courtroom. I get there at 9 o'clock. I get there 10 minutes to 9. I'm the first, doc, I'm the first case on the docket. And my lawyer isn't there. Like, what's going on? My lawyer, I pay my lawyer a fortune. He's not there. So I start calling him. I'm calling him. No answer. Finally, it's 9 o'clock. I better show up to court. I'll get a default judgment against him. I'm not there. So I come into court, and I am nervous like you can't imagine. I come into court, and the judge says to me, uh, where's your lawyer? And I say, I don't have a lawyer. He says, wow. That's impressive. Okay, let me hear what you have to say. So I, I tell him the best defense that I could say for myself. And I, I believe I'm saying the truth, but you know, there's obviously two sides to every story. The judge says to me, you know what? If you have so much faith in your case that you didn't even bring a lawyer, which I've never seen. People always bring lawyers because the lawyers will lie for you and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll cover for you. They'll get all kinds of legal loopholes. 
The fact that you came in without a lawyer, to me, is so impressive. It must mean that you believe in your case, you believe in your own integrity so much. Case dismissed! I can't believe my eyes. My lawyer and I had no intention of getting the case dismissed. We were going to try to like settle for half the amount, whatever it was, and then try to get a, you know, a, an extension, who knows what. I get out of the courtroom... I call up my lawyer. Finally, now he picks up. He says to me, Oi, oi, I'm so sorry. I've been practicing law for 40 years. I never, ever, ever, ever overslept in my 40 years. I never missed a court case. I'm so sorry. And I say to him, don't worry. No need to be sorry. The case was dismissed. The case was dismissed? How did it get dismissed? The government had a strong case against you. He says, the lawyer, the judge said, because you brought no lawyer in, you obviously believe yourself so much. I believe you too. Case dismissed. The lawyer says, I've been practicing law for 40 years. Never saw that happen ever, ever, ever. This Yid pulls an envelope out of his pocket. And he says, here you go. And in it is $5,000 cash. He says, I was supposed to pay that to my lawyer. I don't need to pay my lawyer now. I'm paying you. I believe that you did it for me. More than that, tell me... When is your daughter's wedding? Where is your daughter's wedding? And indeed, he sent an even bigger envelope to the wedding through an emissary. Now, mind you, when this guy finally gets on the phone with the driver, the driver calls him like, Oh, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. I I, I, I don't know what happened. I overslept. I don't oversleep. I never oversleep. The guy says, I'll give you a free day. I'll drive you around for free for the whole day today. I feel so bad. I didn't didn't make, make my commitment. And the guy says to him, don't worry, Hashem took care of it better than you could ever imagine. You don't got to give me anything for free. Hashem set up this whole thing. Listen to the amazing Ashkach process that Hashem runs the world. A lawyer who never missed a case in 40 years. A driver who never misses waking up. And it all happens for this year to sit there and daven and to end up making more money. And this guy got his case taken care of. Everything works out perfectly because Hashem, this is Olamo. Miyom Shabbara Kadosh Baruch Hu Es Olamo. From the time that Kadosh Baruch Hu built his world, we have to say thank you to Hashem, not just for the world, like maybe people did before, before Leah, but we thank Hashem for his world, recognizing that every little thing that happens to us comes from him, him, him. He's watching over us. He's watching over us with Ashkach Apprentice with such incredible closeness. And I'm actually going to close out with that story. I have another story here, but... No, you want the other story? You guys want the other story? It is a Holocaust story, so maybe we just... You guys want to hear a good story? It's an incredible story, though. All right, all righty. Hi, Saffron says, bring it, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm doing it. Here we go. <laughs> Boom! Bonus round! Other story. Here we go. This is unreal. This story took place... In a German work camp. Okay, so there was war camp, there was concentration camps. This took place in a German work camp. And in certain parts of the war, there were times where they would move, like even families sometimes to work camps. Very rarely, but this was one of those cases. In the work camp, the people were living in these, like, like they, were, they were living in deplorable conditions, as always. And there was a mattress that was filled with lice and it was starting to infect everybody. So it was in the women's barracks. So the woman decided to burn the mattress so they would not spread any more lice, which is what people often would do in the olden times. Like they, the, the mattress was made out of straw, whatever, and it was so infested with lice and maggots and whatever it was, it wasn't worth uh, keeping. So they burned it so it would stop, you know, just get rid of at least the lice that were in there already. The Germans caught them burning the mattress, and the Germans were furious. How dare! You burn property of the Reich, the Third Reich. This is our property. You burned our property. And they decided that to punish the entire camp, they were going to have, everyone was going to have to fast for a day. No food, no one's allowed to eat in the entire camp, eat or drink the whole day. Now, remember, in the camp, there were also children. Everyone was, most of the adults were fasting. I'm sure people snuck food, whatever it was. There was one lady, she had a three-year-old child. You can't, your child is begging for bread. So she had stacked away in a hiding place some water, like some, some, um, some bread from the rations that she was saving. And she got some water and she like kind of made it into like a little paste, a little porridge, a little paste, the water and the bread. And she feeds it to her child. And a German walks in and catches it. You dirty Jew! How dare you disobey our laws! So now these diabolical, sick, sick, sick Germans, this is what they decide. They decide that we're not going to judge this case. We're going to have the Jews judge this case. They're going to make a tribunal and the entire camp is going to come and watch. We are going to try this woman 
for violating the orders of the Third Reich by serving her child food when they were supposed to be starving. Craziness. And they're going to have three Jewish women serve as the judges. Of course, the Germans are watching, so they know that you can't just say case dismissed. So sure enough, comes the court case. You have these three Jewish women sitting at a table, and they're, you know, they, they, the German, it's a joke for them. It's like a, it's like a comedy. And they're, they have a prosecutor, and they have a defense attorney and all that. And they're accusing her of high crimes and misdemeanors for feeding her child when she wasn't supposed to. And they say, do you have anything to say? She's just, she's just quiet. She doesn't say a word. And they tell her, you know, that if you don't, um, if you don't say anything, it may be, your punishment may be worse. She doesn't say a word. She doesn't say a word. She doesn't say a word. Finally, they judge her because she violated the rule about not eating. She has to fast for a day, but because she was quiet, she has to fast for 48 hours straight. 48 hours straight, she may not have food or water go through her mouth. Which, as you can imagine, you're in a work camp. That's like, that's devastating. It's deadly. She walks out of the courtroom, and everyone sees she's smiling. And think, has she lost her mind? Why is she smiling? They come over to her. They say, "I don't understand. What are you smiling about? And why didn't you defend yourself? If you would have given a defense, maybe you would have, maybe you would have gotten only a, a, a more lenient punishment." She said, "You don't understand." She says, "Sitting in front of me in the tribunal are three Jewish women, and everything that I say, they're going to write down as Shabbos Kodesh. I didn't want them to have to write on Shabbos, so I was willing to take on a more severe punishment." So that they should not write my testimony down. You're not allowed to write on Shabbos. And I'm so happy I was able to prevent more Chil Shabbos. What kind of nation do we live in? What kind of an amazing people? What kind of an amazing people? Today, I had a rabbi visit with me. He grew up with the Kleisenberger Rebbe, who went through the war famously, lost his wife and his 11 children. And he was once being beaten. He heard this, the person who was sitting at my table today, heard this story from the Kleisenberger Rebbe, how... There was a capo beating him and beating him. And he said, oh yeah, Rabbi, are you still going to say we are the chosen people? And the Rabbi says, of course I'm going to say it. Much more. He's like, what do you mean? I'm beating the living daylights out of you. You lost everything. He says, when I look at what a, what a, a, a Gentile is and what a Jew is, you're beating me. You're a subhuman. Of course I'm so glad that Hashem gave us a Torah that refines us and changes us that we would never ever do what you're doing right now. We're a special people. We're an incredible people. We have to be thankful every day to Hashem for giving us a Torah, for giving us a mission, for giving us what we have. And if we do that and we live with a life of Apam Odes Hashem, we live with our life of not focusing on what we don't have but focusing on what we have, then we will truly live lives of Malchus, lives of kingship, lives of royalty. I give you all bracha. We should all live our lives of royalty all the time. Thank you so much for listening all the way through and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.